Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Today's guest is Illustrators of the Future winner from 2007 and published in Volume 23, Artem Morolovich. Artem was born in the city of Minsk, Belarus. At the age of 17, he moved to the United States and soon after enrolled in the School of Visual Art in New York. He was granted a full scholarship from the Department of Illustration and also spent a semester in Amsterdam's Rietveld Art Academy as an exchange student. Between both schools, he was inspired to produce many works of art, including images of post-apocalyptic city emerged in deep sea underwater. I've been fascinated by his art and so have remained in touch with him since initially meeting him. An interview with Artem was published as a Writers of the Future blog post in 2019, aptly entitled, Interview with Award-Winning Artist Artem Morolovich. And I'm very excited to be able to speak with him on this podcast. Welcome, Artem. Thank you. Thank you, John. I'm very excited and happy to be here. It's an honor. I'm so anxious to be able to, to speak with you because I love your art. I've been fascinated with it. And your signature black top hat, too, where no matter what pictures I see of you, you're what, you've got that hat on. So we'll maybe touch upon that as well, where that came from. But my first question is, has art always been your passion? Yes, it has always been my passion. I've been uh, drawing since I was a kid, drawing, playing with um, clay and other um, artistic um, <laughs> materials and mediums, but mostly drawing, yes. I get it. So um, were you encouraged by your parents or what was the one that, that helped you keep on persisting? Was it just your, your I'm not going to give up or you had other people that were there helping you? Um. Yes, I was encouraged by my parents. My father actually uh, uh, drew from me when I was a kid, and I copied his uh, illustrations. Uh, it wasn't much, but uh, he, he gave—he definitely gave me an uh, initial boost, let's say that. Good. And my mother was always encouraging. I mean, both of them, my mother, my father, and my stepfather. And uh, to skip a little bit ahead, when I decided to join the art school, when I told them that I'm going to go to art school, uh, to School of Visual Arts, uh, they were not very happy about me moving to New York and going to art school, but they still supported. They said, listen, if this is what you want to do with your life, we will support your idea, as long as you take it seriously and, and stay persistent. Well, that's good. You obviously have, which we will go into it over the next hour here. So now when I, I reread your article that you wrote, your interview that you had, and you said it wasn't very supportive in... Um, at that time, was it still USSR when you were growing up? Oh, yes. Uh, I was born, just like you said, and thank you for that introduction. I was born in Minsk, Belarus, which at that point was part of the USSR. And uh, and I lived there till 93, and the USSR just started to disintegrate in, in about in 1990, 91. Uh -huh. So I grew up in a totally Soviet system, which wasn't all that bad, but it was definitely a totalitarian system. And art wasn't a part of it unless you were getting ready to become a professional artist, which at that point I wasn't. So this, so the educational system and environment wasn't really uh, aspiring or, um, yeah, <laughs> to be right. creative. Right. Yeah. So when you were 17, then that's when you moved to, to, to New York. And do you still go back and visit 
uh, family in um, every now and then when you go back to uh, Belarus? Um, well, thank God, most of my family is here now. Um, okay. My parents are in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't go to Belarus that often because I'm like I'm very unhappy with the regime there right now. That Lukashenko, the president, who's been there ever since I left, he's been there since 1993. Wow. Um, um, yeah, which is a totally totalitarian regime. It's like the last piece of the Soviet Union still remaining. So um, unfortunately, I don't go back much. But uh, I did go back in the past when my family was still there, and I visited them. And it was it was nice to reunite with them and to see my friends as well. You know, it was a it was a good feeling to be back home. I'm sure it was. Now, are your parents here because you were able to afford to bring them out yourself? No, they actually. I mean, I came with my parents when I was 17. Oh, I mean, with my mother, with my mother and my stepdad. But then I actually brought my dad here much later. So my dad, uh, so I did help him out a little bit, but he he you know he managed on his own as well, to his credit. Okay. Well, well, good. So, so I got now. It's always been your, uh, your passion. Now, did you ever meet Sergei Polyakov? Sergei Polyakov. Yeah, um, he's from Kiev, uh, Ukraine, and uh, he's one of our. He was a winner, probably ten years before you. He was a grand prize winner. Yeah, he was a winner, and he was able to come out the year that the uh, Iron Curtain fell, and um, oh, okay. we had to loan him a jacket and a tie because it was like. I mean, everybody there where he was in Ukraine, it was just totally stripped of any resources and people didn't have anything. So we had to loan him stuff. Um, he spoke like three words of English, you know, thank you, Ron Hubbard. That's four words. So he spoke four <laughs> words. <laughs> huh. But he was amazing. He became a judge then several years later. So um, he's right now very much involved in the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. But um when that's over with, he'll be back to being a judge again. He's, his art is very similar in, in style, I think, to yours, because he's, he's very into the, you know, what, what you do on, on, your, on your work there with, um, I mean, it's just amazing seeing your, you know, impressionism. Is that what you're, mostly what you'd be considering yourself or? Um. You know, it's always hard to put a label on myself. Yeah, I know. Um, I understand that. Impressionism definitely made a big impression on me. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a, a follower. Uh, as well as uh, surrealism. And yes, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm and just I'm 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 familiar with Sergey's work and I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I don't know him personally, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he's also does impressionism and surrealism with his work as well. Very amazing, incredible detail that you've gone into, which remind me of what he did there, and then also just the the surreal aspects and telling stories within stories in your art as well. Yeah, well, my, my my notebooks in high school used to be covered with uh, just ink drawings, just pages after pages. I still have those, uh, hundreds of pages. Yeah, So it's always been my passion and kind of uh, a way to spend my time, you know, so. Sure. And, uh, yeah, but, but, but what really what pushed me, I mean, I, um, I actually don't talk about this much. So this is kind of like fresh. Uh, I had a... I had a near-death experience in uh, Belarus when I was 17. And uh, because of that near-death experience, I decided it was just like so clear to me within the, those few seconds that I had left what I thought I had left in me before I lost conscience. 
that it's very important to follow your passion in your life and not to waste any time and to be brave about it. So that that's that was my turning point, I think, in my life. That's when I decided to follow my passion seriously. Because up until then, yes, I was I was I spent most of my time drawing, but I never considered myself or never considered the path of an artist before that. And uh, but after that near death experience, I pretty much knew that I will have to try try it for real. And wow, uh, yeah, so. it stripped away all the other non-important things and just left you with like the bear okay this is what i really want and if i'm going to get a opportunity i'm not going to waste it right i think it saved me a lot of years of uh just unhappiness you know yeah like, yeah if i was to go to work in an office or i don't know become business owner whatever it is i was going to do otherwise would probably most likely make me an unhappy person at the end of the day yeah so you seem to I, be anything but that right now <laughs> yes, I'm very happy, and yeah. it, I'm not. It's uh, it's uh, being an artist uh, is not an easy path, you know. So it's a lot of up and downs or season changes, uh, but you know, but you always have your work to speak for you, and you know, and uh, and I think if you're persistent and uh, believe in yourself, eventually, no matter what, success yeah. will come. Good. Now you create art in multiple formats. You do etchings or oils on canvas. What's your inspiration to be able to do your your uh, type of work? And I saw and I saw some of your three dimensional art too. Is yours um, on your on your website? I think as well that Burning Man. You were trying to work out participating there. But so, what's your inspiration for creating the art that you create? Well. Um... A little bit about etching, because that's a funny story. So I, when I was actually at Reedfield Art Academy of Amsterdam, I passed by this uh, a laboratory that had this uh, like medieval looking machines, the presses, you know, presses that uh, you run the paper through to get the, ed the final etching done. Right. And I saw this guy with the beard and he had a torch in his hand and he was torching this plate that was hanging above him. You know, there was like totally surreal kind of, a scene from the alchemy movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I walked into the studio and asked him what he was doing. And uh, he explained to me that he's preparing the plate for an etching. And, uh, and he asked me if I wanted to try something like that. And I eagerly agreed. Um, so that's how I got my first etching done. And then I sort of, um, I mean, after I came back to New York, I didn't have a, uh, I didn't have a lab to, cause you need a lot of, you need a lot of machinery to make, etchings right and i didn't have any any of that but i lived in williamsburg which at that point was very vibrant neighborhood there was a lot of it was still very sort of um rough around the edges but with a lot of artists musicians writers poets all sort of creative people living there and i had one of my first exhibits there and this older lady came up to me and she said listen do you etch and i said well no not really just a little bit she said you're a natural born etcher you must come to my studio and etch <laughs> and that's how i met mary westring that's her name mary westring who became my teacher and uh master etcher from who from whom i learned everything i know about etching and i learned a lot from her let me tell you <laughs> that is the whole craft actually if i yeah. knew what i was getting into <laughs> at that point i might have not gone to her studio yeah but it's a wonderful and uh i mean etching is sort of like the first way of printing you know it was invented sure. in medieval times and 
thank you for referring and reminding me about the, my latest project with projection mapping because that's the latest word the latest the latest technology technological advent like advantage or uh, tool that we can use to uh, to further our artistic goals and and i have this cool amazing actually really uh, edge of the like technological uh, research project with my friend uh, Dmitry Tryokhsviatsky, who developed an algorithm that reads, algorithm scans the painting, so scans the visual and translate it into sound. So, uh, wow. It's, yeah, it's really, so he, which is, it's revolutionary, I think. And uh, we showcased, I mean, and it's also, so we played this soundtrack with the video projection mapping that we created, that mostly Dmitry does, that's projected on the painting so the painting suddenly has a soundtrack its own soundtrack not the one that someone created the soundtrack that was read off the painting and then the movie that we created on top of that so that's our multimedia project which was actually just showcased in one hotel during miami art basel week uh, which was really really uh, important for us <laughs> to have I, it there i imagine so that's that's amazing there so now I've seen you do large paintings, you know, like a big, like full wall size, and then the smaller ones. Like, what makes the difference on doing the really large paintings versus the uh, smaller ones for you? Well, it's like micro and macro. You know, when you when I sit at my table for days, you know, then you really want to stretch your shoulders and go on a large scale. That's just like on a physical level. But also, <laughs> but to go on a big scale, you need to prepare it on a small scale first. And then there's different projects. For example, I had a project for, uh, in Miami where I had to paint two 40-foot containers. So that was a huge, you know, huge space to cover. And then some projects just call for um, for a book illustration or book cover. So that requires me sitting at the table. So sometimes job calls for it. Sometimes I have an inside call to do it, to work either in small or large format. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's good to vary, you know, I think. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Now, when you paint these large paintings, do you, it, is it airbrush or is it all brush, brush? It's mostly brush. I, I sometimes use airbrush. I actually had a big job for a private client inside of his house. We uh, actually even uh, <clears throat> asked a friend of mine to help. So we, together we did 22 walls. We covered 22 walls in this uh, private house. And we did some nice clouds. So for the clouds, we used airbrush. But for the rest of the walls, we just used regular brushes. Wow, that must have been a project and a half. Yes, there was two months every well, six days work, six days a week. Yeah. yeah. So now surrealism seems to be your commonality and the art, like we established earlier on. So why that format? Why that art form, surrealism? Um. I'm not sure. I think I just like the playfulness of that, or I find uh, that I, that I can be playful in that format. And also, I was influenced early on by Salvador Dali and other uh, surrealists, but especially by him, who was one of the few Western artists that was uh, allowed to be published in Soviet Union, actually. Really? So, uh, yeah. So that was. Uh, um, there was, but I, but I was also very much influenced by uh, European comic books. 
because I actually I studied French in school and uh, there was a lot of French students that not a lot, but there was uh, Fr- there were French students that would come from France to school, to our school, and uh, so I had access to French uh, comic books, which was a great source of inspiration for me as well. I get it. So now, in I guess just overall in um, Eastern Europe. Is surrealism a, a real popular or common form of art, or is it just like in America? It's a very, it's a, it's a very distinct, but not huge section of, of the art. Uh, I think in Eastern Europe it's more popular than in America because yeah. uh, abstract art in general, different forms of abstract art uh, take uh, take a big portion of uh, interest of uh, America's. Uh, art goers lovers viewers buyers mm-hmm. right uh, where in eastern europe it's not so much so you know so all other isms get more uh, attention including surrealism oh i get because i'm just wondering if that's with because of the totalitarianism of eastern europe if certain art forms makes it easier to tell your story without you know, persecution because you did something that was against the um, the current regime. Mm, yes, I I probably will have to agree with you. And also, you know, also it's a it's a way of storytelling. You know, and I like to tell stories through my art. Just like you said, I I use a lot of details, and through those details, I tell the story. You know, right. and and if it becomes a little dreamlike, a little. Uh, mysterious or surreal i'm totally fine with that i I find it i find joy in it good i get it now you were a winner of the illustrators of the future so do you consider what you do as illustration uh a lot of times yes i mean i illustrate mostly my ideas one way or another or sometimes i illustrate other people's ideas but actually the trick the trick to be a successful illustrator just like professors taught me in school of visual arts is to process others' ideas so they become yours. You know, so when you illustrate their ideas, you do it for yourself, not for them, because then it really comes out right at, at your best ability. Yeah. So now. Um, so yes, I, I do consider, and actually, oh, I'm sorry. Were, were Go you ahead. asking something? Go ahead. Yep. Uh, so uh, Illustrator of the Future was a huge uh, booster for me. It was a huge. I mean, uh, winning. Winning Illustrator Illustrator of the Future Award, you know, gave me a lot of confidence and gave me a lot of credibility. You know, gave me bragging rights. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and also it was tr- such an amazing and positive experience. And so I would like to acknowledge and thank you personally and the rest of the uh, the rest of the team for doing a great job and for you know this is amazing what you guys did for us then and keep doing for uh, writers and illustrators now. Uh, and exactly. I, now, when you, did, when you, yeah, what, well, thank you. When you did the workshop, there's usually uh, some articles by Elrond Hubbard on art and as being the quality of communication. And do you remember any of the points that were, were covered there? Anything from uh, Mr. Hubbard that you still recall or that, that impressed you that you still use to this day? Um, Yes, I, I I don't remember the quote exactly. I, well, actually, I remember writing down a few quotes because I like quite a few. But the one that I like the most, 
I don't remember the exact quote, but his, uh, I think one of the most uh, famous quotes, at least used in the writers and illustrator context, is that uh, the writers and illustrators are the, like the eyes that see into the future. So therefore they should be, um, they should be, uh, people should pay more and more attention to them. Something like that. Something along yeah. those lines. I can't remember. I can't remember the exact. I mean, he said it much more beautifully and uh, poetically than I can. But uh, so yes and no. I can't remember the exact quote, but I remember the knowledge and the right. points that he made. Yeah. So what was the thing that probably helped you the most from the week-long workshop and award ceremony that you had when you were out here? Um, well, the, the, the workshop was good in many aspects. First of all, meeting judges and other artists and seeing it from all different aspects and actually being involved in the workshop activities, you know, because yeah. that opened up, that opened up our communication with each other. And, uh, I mean, my communication with others and others with me. And also, I mean, the judges were amazing. You know, it was easy. It was like older brothers and sisters, you know, like yeah. from the same field, you know, just uh, super talented and well, well achieved and also well, very, very welcoming, you know, so it was a very welcoming community. So, yeah, and the ceremony itself, I mean, that was just fantastic, you know, I've yeah. never, I, mean, I, I, I did, I think, I think I, I brought my own shoes maybe, but I'm saying, but I, I was still very much impressed, you know, it was an impressive ceremony and it was just, it felt good to be there. I was even a little uh, like intimidated to go on stage, you know, but once sure. I got on stage, I think I forgot about intimidation. Yeah, so yeah. that was just such an amazing experience. You know, I'm just thinking it over now as I'm speaking about it. And, you know, I have a big smile on my face. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good then. So on the... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And another thing, very important, that uh, I met uh, Ray and Gladys, uh, Gladys Margarita Diaz, two of my friends till this day, uh, who whom I... Uh, so they were working um, with... Uh, uh, with writers and illustrators and they were picking me up from uh, they were picking me up or dropping me off so they were helping 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 me as uh, as your guest right uh, uh -huh. as volunteer so we remained uh, so we became very close friends and we're very close friends till this day and she's partially responsible for me being in miami right now really so, so yeah That's so all that came out thanks to the illustrators of the future. future yeah yeah. Are you still in touch with any of the of the winners? Um, you know, not as much, but very rarely. Like I see, I see something uh, pop up on Facebook, and I react. And I, yeah, so I'm in, I'm in touch with some of them, just not as much as I used to be, unfortunately. So now, so we said when we we talked about your inspiration, you said you know um, Dolly and the manga comic tradition you'd written in your in your bio, and like, are there things in life that come by that happen to you all of a sudden? Like, you see something and go, like, oh, well, I need to paint that or I need to do something with that with just some circumstance or some situation in life that inspires you? Um, yes, absolutely. I'm, uh, also, I'm very much inspired by books uh, and uh, specifically by science fiction as well. Um, but situations in life inspire me and ideas do pop up in my head when I drive my car or walk in the street or uh, run in the park yeah. um, 
And actually, the idea, uh, the idea that was submitted for the Illustrator of the Future, uh, that got me into the, the, the. To get your, your winning. Got, got me. Yeah, the winner was uh, the idea came up uh, when I lived in Amsterdam because we lived right. I lived right next to the water channel, and there was this guy who lived in the boat. Uh, right next to our house and every morning I would wave to him and he would wave to me, you know, drinking his coffee He had like a nice neat apartment inside of the boat and one day we came back from school my room at the night And we saw that his boat was half sunk and he, he was like his coffee mug was like Swimming in the water in inside of his half sunk cabin, which was kind of sad But also suddenly I had this idea of our whole society being like this boat this mothership uh, floating through space and time and that's how the idea of mothership was born just you know out of this, wow uh, that's a fascinating <laughs> painting yeah yeah so and that concept i still run with this concept today i mean i i i did a bunch of different paintings characters that live in that world uh different uh different boats different uh submarines uh on and on and on so i i uh, populated that world in, in uh, since then, but, I get it. Yeah, but the idea, but the idea came, you know, in a split second. I get it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's interesting how that it's something like that. That's just it's all it takes is that one little thing. Just like you said, when you had your near death accident, just that split second, all of a sudden, your future became crystallized. Right. Now you said in your bio that you you are not afraid to make statements on global warming or decadence of consumerist society. Explain that a little bit. Well, actually, now we're going back to mothership because uh, a lot of that is about global warming too. It's because uh, that mothership is sort of like a Noah's Ark that's uh, floating over the old civilization, which is submerged underwater, which is probably the result of global warming caused by human activity. And uh, consumerism, yes, unfortunately, that's the way to to destroy our uh, environment, not to not to not to make it last, and you know, for for the next generations, for our children and grandchildren. So, um, actually, my next big project is called the Labyrinth of Consumerism. Hopefully, within the next five to seven years, it will be realized. Wow! Now. You seem to prefer displaying your art as you've participated in over 100 solo and group exhibitions in museums, galleries, and art fairs worldwide. You've been to England, France, Switzerland, Italy, Russia, Japan, Qatar, Kazakhstan, Latvia, and the U.S. So how's that? how did you evolve to being able to do like these, these group exhibitions? It seems like that's its own, sounds like its own technology of how to be able to do that, its own set of rules and, and procedures um well yes yeah, so I, I first of all i love to travel so i always uh, i always um, look for opportunities uh, and for exhibits so i can combine my love to travel and my work so to speak right um and then uh, so sometimes i travel for solo or group exhibitions and sometimes i i also apply for this competitions uh, so, and that's something that a lot of other artists can probably use. You know, you just do your research online and uh, just apply to a lot of them. And some of them will, uh, like, I ended up in Kazakhstan um, 
just because I uh, I entered this competition uh, and I I was selected and um, as part of the competition they 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 uh, everything was uh, uh, covered by the Ministry of Culture of Kazakhstan. So they covered tickets, they covered hotel stay, uh, they covered two weeks of travel through Kazakhstan. Uh, from I mean it wasn't just for me; it was for a group of artists uh, that I ended up being a part of. Uh, it was actually a wonderful experience and uh, very, very warm and pleasant. And uh, it was great to see that country when I was driving. Unfortunately, things are not going that well there right now. Not yeah. as bad as in Ukraine or Russia, but and still. Also still, yeah. Yeah, hopefully that's over with at some point in the near future. So is there some particular, like, when you exhibit at galleries, it would seem like there's so many different artists out there with their with their works of art. There's got to be some other little quality or characteristic to you as an artist that would make a gallery owner want to have you included in their gallery. Right. First of all, it's never easy because. Uh, uh, but the way the way that I approach it is. Uh, I mean, if you have a chance to go to, to physically go to galleries that are near you, uh, go to the galleries and look at the art. And if you see that gallery is consistently uh, or somewhat consistently showcasing the art that's similar to yours, you know, there's more. they're more likely. I mean, if you do surrealism and uh, you go to gallery that, show, that showcases surrealism, um, you're more likely to succeed there. Or if you do abstract realism you know you're more likely to go to galleries that showcase that kind of art so that's number one number two of course now a lot of stuff is available online you know and uh, you can also apply and showcase your art in galleries online without ever stepping your foot in the gallery so which i also practice um and 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 you just you have to be constantly proactive you know it's uh you can't you can't stop uh, promoting yourself and uh, you can't stop being out there. So, you know, the moment the moment they stop doing it, unfortunately, the the ball starts rolling the other way. You know? Yeah. So. Now, one thing I see, I see about you, it's very obvious with you, is you've got an amazing persona. It communicates visually. You've got your top hat you wear. You've got your, you know, your, again, your, your mustache. Everything is a trademark. When I look at any picture I see of you, with a rare exception, you've got that basic look about yourself. So um, is that important, do you think, for an artist to be able to make it into, into a gallery stuff where you actually have a persona that people can relate to and go like, ah, okay, yes, he's, you know, he's very, you know, he matches his art. He's surreal. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, it kind of came together in, in my case, it kind of gradually and slowly came together. And it was, it was, sometimes it was out of necessity. For example, I'm practically bald right now. So I'm wearing top hat to kind of give myself an interesting look. And the mustache is the only hair, facial hair I have left. So that's something. But at the same <laughs> time, yes, of course, I, uh, over the years, and thanks, thanks to my wife uh, also, uh, I'm, I think I chose the look that matches my artwork and also my inner my inner spirit, so to speak. It, I mean, it totally and fits. I think, and I it think totally it's fits. I'm just, I'm just amazed. It's like, wow, that it, it's such a persona that you communicate with how you look and it matches your art. 
And you know what else helped? Burning Man. Burning Man helped me because uh, it's like kind of a, like a masquerade for a, w- a week-long masquerade. But uh, but then you take part of it home with you, you know, if you can. Yeah. Uh, which was that's just also another wonderful experience. And uh, yeah, so I think that's important. And I would also recommend all visual artists to try to match their art visually if they can. Yeah. Now you're talking about you need to be you got to be vocal. You've got to be like, do you do a lot on social media or how do you, how do you communicate your art and communicate with fans and potential fans? Yes. You have to be vocal. I mean, whether you like it, I mean, to the point where I had an older artist friend of mine who asked me to help her expand her Instagram. And I said, what do you need this for? She said, well, believe it or not, uh, I went to the museum curator and he asked me aside from my resume, how many Instagram followers I have, <laughs> you know, which was a total shock to me because it was like an elderly artist. Anyway, so I think I personally think that it's important, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure because sometimes it takes it. I mean, you have to do it almost like not you have to do it daily. I do it almost daily. And uh, if I don't if I stop doing it, I feel guilty, you know, but on the other, on the other hand, it takes a lot of time, you know, time that I would rather spend creating art or with my family. Uh, But this is part of the modern advertising or self PR, you know, so unless you, unless you're willing to pay somebody to do it for you, you, and even if you are paying somebody to do it for you, you still have to, it's best for you to oversee yourself. Right. So you just use Instagram or do you also use Twitter or Facebook or um, any of the other social media? I use, I use Instagram and Facebook. I use Twitter just a little bit. I mean, I was thinking about TikTok, but I stopped myself there because I just, you know, it's just way too much for me already. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, so, I understand that. Yeah. And actually, my I have a very good friend, uh, Frederick, who was my roommate in Amsterdam, who's now one of the leading Mercedes-Benz designers in Germany. He's from Germany. And uh, he's probably one of the few people of my age that I know that doesn't use any social media at all, you know, but he's, uh, yeah. Yeah. But he's, he's got like, himself, he's got a stable job yeah. doing what he's doing. He doesn't need to have social media because he's already, he's, he's in the corporate world there, but you're not. Right. That's true. That's true. Very true. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And also to answer, I forgot to mention, because when you asked me about the gallerists, yeah, I also wanted to say that at the end of the day, because I, I mean, I work with the uh, with a few galleries right now, and I always uh, had some kind of gallery representation. Sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, but thank God, I was always fortunate to have some kind of relationship with the galleries. But nonetheless, um, like some other older artists told me, he told me, "Listen, through your career, you'll have a lot of different galleries." You know, for one reason or another, he said, but at the end of the day, the best gallerist you'll ever have is yourself, <laughs> you know, and um, I just like with advertising, I also uh, have to agree that you have to stay on top of your, you know, on top of your business. That's why I opened my own gallery and where I represent not just myself, but like minded artists as well, because that, that's the one you know, in, that's, that's one in New York. The gallery was based in New York, yes, until COVID. Uh, we closed the location with COVID, and then my wife got pregnant, and she was begging me to get out of New York. So we actually, oh, so 
You'll love this. So, uh, <laughs> and I called Gladys. I called Gladys, the lady that I met at uh, Writers and Illustrators of the yeah. Future. Because she's my friend in she's my friend in Florida. And I said, Gladys, uh, what's going on in Florida? I'm thinking about going there. And she said, oh, my God. Uh, why don't you apply to our artist in residency program? And I said, what artist in residency program? She said, oh, my God, don't you get the email? Apparently, um, and apparently after years of um, working on this project, uh, Gladys got it together. And they had a great program that they were just launching. Uh, and they actually already picked a winner, but because of COVID, he wasn't able to come. So they were re redoing the, um, the application uh, uh, process. And uh, so I applied for the residency and I got in. So my, <laughs> my wife and I got a, got a rent-free apartment and, uh, and a great art studio in the same building right downstairs. Uh, and it was uh, by American Landmark. That's the name of the company that provides those. Uh, so we spent almost a year there, thanks to Gladys, the you know our friend from Florida, right. whom we know, yeah. thanks to Writers of the Future. So so that's how we ended up in Florida. And that's um, where you still to this day, then. Wow, that's great. Oh uh, no, I mean we we changed the location already, but but you're still Florida in Florida. Was, still in Florida, yeah, it was yeah. so good to us. I got a you know, uh, and I come here every year anyway for the Art Basel Week in December. And I usually we usually stay for one, two, three weeks, depending on the year. So there was one big magnet that draws us to, to Miami anyway. So and yeah, so we ended up staying in Florida because uh, Florida has been really good to us. So wow, that's awesome. Here. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, so, I I go back and forth a lot, you know, because I still have a lot of work in New York, and uh, so we're actually <laughs> divided, but. You know, we I think we spend more time in Florida now. I mean, family like my wife and kid definitely spend much more time in Florida than in New York. Sure, sure. Yeah. So now, when you let's see, when you're when you do your your work, any anything that you found to be for yourself the most helpful piece of advice that you got from others, or that you can now share with others on that you could give to an aspiring artist. Um the best advice from your perspective of course right well i don't know be honest with yourself and don't be afraid to get go out of your box don't go don't don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone and experiment okay and be and be honest with your be, i mean be your own best critic that's what i mean when i say be honest because i think that will save you a lot of time too that will save any artist a lot of time you know because yeah, so if the work is good, just go with it, and if it's not, you know, don't go with it. <laughs> yeah. So or, how much were you able to? On, or don't be on it. Yeah. How much were you able to evolve yourself as a self-critic as compared to relying upon others whose opinion you trusted for their criticism? Like maybe that's what the difference between school and not in school. I, I'm not sure. Um, well, I think it's important to have both. And I think the better self-critic you are, the more constructive criticism from others you allow into your life, you know, which I, which I allow a lot because I have a lot of artist friends and I, uh, some of them uh, whom I admire, I try to get into my studio so they can, uh, um, you know, so I can get their opinion on, uh, on my new works or on the works that, that can be in the studio. I get it. Yeah. For so, example, one of yeah. one of the judges that we had 
at uh, Illustrator of the Future, Stephen Hickman, who unfortunately uh, passed away recently. He, uh, we, we stayed in contact and like I always, because I, I, I admire his artwork and I think he liked my style too. So we always, I always not only liked his stuff on social media, but also wrote some kind of comments. And he often did the same, which is uh, which is also some form of. Uh, I mean, this is more like. Uh, uh, it, I mean, it was more kind of admirational than criticism, but sometimes it would be with constructive criticism as well, you know. Right. So, and this this is a very easy form of uh, communicating with other artists, you know, just putting it online, especially especially in uh, groups with other artists like Sketchbook Society or science fiction artists or whatever, you know, whatever the yeah. the field that you as an artist like. Got it. Do you ever put your stuff like on ArtStation and those types of sites? Um, ArtStation, no, but I put it on different, um, I, like I have it in Saatchi Art Gallery, which is pretty good, you know. Yeah, like, I yeah. don't sell a lot of stuff there, but I get a lot of feedback from there. And actually, recently... Um, somebody uh, asked me for the rights to the artwork to be published uh, as a book cover, and that's not the first time that that happened. So, which is so it's a good feedback and it's a good way to, sure, to get the great, artwork. Out. Great feedback. Yeah. <laughs> can I give yeah, you yeah, money yeah. for? Can I give you money for it? <laughs> um, so, what's been your most difficult part of your journey as an artist? I mean, do you have any stories of caution or warning to other artists on being taken advantage of or getting ripped off? Well, I mean, getting uh, connecting yourself with the with the good gallery is very difficult for any artist. And actually, I have a lot of uh, uh, artist friends whom I consider. Uh, I mean, like there's there's a few, there's actually like one artist friend in particular, you know, who's brilliant. He's absolute genius, and he's. Uh, and it's not just my opinion. It's, it's right. opinion of, of, you know, it's a, it's a popular opinion. And apparently we just spoke recently and I was shocked to find out that he has got a problem with the gallery rap. Not because nobody wants to rap him, you know, but because the people that want, want to rap him are not the best people that he wants to be in business with, you know. Right. And, and on and on and on. So getting, getting a good representation is difficult. Um, How did you do like, it? It's, it's like, like, for example, the gallery that I worked with for the last 20 years in Williamsburg, they just closed their location and moved to up to move to upstate New York and they didn't reopen yet. So not that that relationship remains very friendly relationship, but the gallery is no longer there to represent me. Right. Mm -hmm. So and, as, and that can happen, you know, the gallery that I worked with in Zurich 10 years ago, they I mean, they closed i mean i worked with them for 10 years and they closed 10 years ago and this happens all the time you know so um i and then i i worked with the gallery in chelsea which is like the most reputable art gallery neighborhood in new york and i was so excited uh and the, and the gallery director made me sign the year contract uh exclusive contract that i will not work with any galleries in manhattan so i signed the contract and for eight months it was it was the most negative relationship ever, you know, because the guy didn't sell any of my work, you know, but he and he didn't even come to my studio. He would just make me come to his office 
tell him about the artwork and then he would critique it verbally and i'll tell him come on just come to the studio look at the artwork you know then you can critique it for real you know <laughs> like you can't critique my stories about the artwork without even seeing it so at, at, at the end of the day i just walked out on him you know because it was just a bunch of bs you know it, despite yeah. the fact that he had a prime location in the prime neighborhood you know the there was a lot of empty words and nothing was delivered so you know, but when, but when I signed the contract, I thought that that's it. This is the beginning of the most prosperous and successful year in my life. <laughs> oh, well, yes. So that's a, so probably don't sign any contracts until you really find out, uh, until you do the research about uh, the people that you deal with, I guess. Yeah, now, I've interviewed a lot of artists over the last three years. So I'm doing gallery work. What's what's a fair percentage that you should expect to receive on any sales of your work? Um, I mean, I used to, I'm used to paying anywhere from uh, twenty to fifty percent to the gallery, but a lot of times, but most of the time, you come to the gallery with your price, and the gallery adjusts their price to your. They just add the percentage to your price. You know, so, I mean, uh, sometimes they ask you to. To lower your price sometimes they ask you to upgrade your price actually that both uh, I, both cases happened to me numerous times actually and, so you, uh, you go in what you ask you set the price initially normally and then they will agree with that then they increase the price for their commission all right so and for example i had a years ago i had a very successful show with etchings actually in zurich and uh, the galleries asked me how much I'm charging for my etchings, and I told them I'm charging this and this much. And he said, listen, uh, said in my gallery, we should really sell for at least triple that, because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I said, no, wait, you know, that's unreasonable. We're not going to sell anything. He said, no, no, so that this is, you know, this is the way it is. Let me let me handle the prices. Like, are you okay? Are you are you okay getting more money for your etchings if we sell them, basically? And I said, yes, I'm okay with that. And uh, smart. To utter, <laughs> and to my utter surprise, we sold the uh, uh, 17 out of 18 artworks that were exhibited at triple the price that you're asking for. Right, but but then after that, it, uh, it kind of uh, because after you sell your etchings for a certain price you're kind of obligated to, to keep not not exactly that price but to keep your price somewhat at that point sure know? which which uh which also kind of created complications for me because nobody would buy it for triple the price in new york because everybody knew that i was selling it for three times less just a month ago <laughs> you know so yeah but but eventually it evened out you know so things worked out so um, that's good. So any other part of your journey as an artist where you're ready to give up and get a day job again or something like that? Um, well, you know, I actually sort of have a day job sometimes because um, I work, I work, uh, I'm an auxiliary list for the um, art, uh, for the, um, for the scenic artist, which is artist union that works for movies and uh, for the entertainment business. Yeah. So whatever whatever backgrounds we see painted in uh, Steven Spielberg or any other movies, that's the scenic uh, artists who do that. And I and I do it in New York. So if I'm um, so if I need extra money, or if I'm uh, yeah, so if I need extra money, I put myself on auxiliary list, and sooner or later they call me for a job, and it's a well-paid job, but it's uh, but it's a hard job actually. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
yeah, you have to get up at like four or five uh, in the morning, and you work uh, you work all day through. Yeah. So I guess I need to qualify my question then. So you're still even but your God, quote unquote your sorry, art, alternate work is you're still doing art. You're not. You're not. Yes, being yes. A, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm work as a. You're not pumping. You're not pumping a, gas somewhere or or waiting tables. No, 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 no. No, no, I still work. I work as a scenic artist. It's still very much. I mean, it's a hard work, but it's it's working with other artists, and it actually it helps me in my career as well because it brings almost like a. I mean, it's almost like an industrial level element, you know, because there I work on huge uh, movie productions. So uh, and you know, and and it's an honor to be a part of that. It's not only well paid; it's also a big honor to be there, and it's a good learning experience, especially the first few jobs that I had there. So are you, are you able, are you allowed to say what, what movies you did the art for or is, or is it all NDA? You know what? I'm not sure. Let me find out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Yeah. But anyway, you've had some good, you've had some good stuff with that. That's good. Yeah, we had some good stuff. And, and, but sometimes, I mean, you find out like, I mean, if you like, cause we, we come there way before the movie guys do, cause we, we build the set for them and then they, sure. can, you know? yeah, yeah. So, but but like at, towards the end of our uh, process, like building process, we start meeting the uh, the movie production team, like the actors and the directors and everybody else who comes in. So yeah, so it's it's also fun. Oh, good. And there's so, of course certain <clears throat> codes within the industry, you know, like you're not like it's it's of course it's it's okay to say hi, but you're not supposed to like come over to the table and talk to big stars over lunch, you know. Which, yeah. Which is totally understandable, you know. So, sure. And it's totally yeah. totally appropriate. Yeah. So. Totally understand that. So, what's been the most rewarding aspect to your career? Uh, being able to paint. Being, being being able to freely paint, you know, being able not, so so I don't have to go even to this fun job, you know, every every month, you know, like so I can wake up in the morning and I can paint all day, you know, this is the most rewarding, uh, you know, in the being able to do what I love, you know, and and not th- and know that uh, that that I'm also I'm not. By doing that, I'm not slacking, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing for my, not only for my soul, but also for my career. Right. Even though it's not always for my, you know, like, to be honest with you, I mean, when when you paint, you know, career is the last thing you should be thinking about, you know, because, I mean, at least in my opinion, and I'm sure a lot of artists will disagree with me, (laughs) but I think, I think art should come from within and it should be as honest and as soulful as you can possibly make it. I get it. That makes, that makes sense on that. And just, I mean, you've obviously got to take, take account of the fact, especially you've got a wife and a child that you've got to, you provide for them. Is, you, is your wife also an artist? Oh, Alexandra, my wife is my muse and she helps me a lot. Like, for example, we just had a very busy week uh, in Miami, Miami Art Basel Week, the busiest week of the year for uh, and the busiest and the most fun week of the year. And uh, this year was also um, record-breaking in sales uh, for the Art Basel in general and for myself as well. We did very well. We had a big booth at Scope Art Fair, which is a big art fair. I had a show at one hotel. Uh, I, had a, I had my own art fair, which we run with Alexa and the team, and that's called Synergy. Uh, so there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of 
a lot of turf to cover, but at the end we did it. Thanks, thanks to my family, Alexa, and our team, Stan, Elena, and another Elena, um, and Dimitri, of course, my partner with whom we did the one hotel. So we had a big team, and it was a big success. That's great. Um, but it took it took everything ahead, literally everything, like every yeah. hour, every ounce. Every drop of blood and sweat <laughs> and tears, every ounce of my flesh, and yeah, so yeah. But thank God now we can relax for the holidays and yeah. then go into the new year with new projects. Good. So, do you have a most rewarding aspect to your career? Most rewarding aspects. Hmm. Hopefully, it's yet to come. Uh, I think that I, I hope that uh, within my lifetime, I will build my own uh museum slash entertainment center that will present the works of like-minded artists and myself uh and i envision it as a big 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 center that works at the daytime for adults and kids and at nighttime turns into like a lounge you know with projection mapping and 3d art you know like edge top of the like edge uh, technological edge um, uh, art yeah so do you have a particular perspective or viewpoint on AI art? I've been seeing that more and more, and I've seen a lot of controversy over it. And I know that the um, it's not allowed to get the um, copyright protection because it's actually a computer that generates it. I, I even tried it once. I put in the various, describe something, and then it created a painting for me, and I'm, I'm so not an artist. What, what's your take on AI art? Well, it's fascinating and scary. Yeah. Um, and I work, actually, I, I, had, I just had a big project with AI that was also showcased at one hotel for the Art Basel Week. That was part of the Tree of Life uh, series. So what I did, I took, I, took a, I took my painting, Tree of Life, which is, I mean, I, I took a picture of my painting and I scanned it in. And, uh, you know, with a few commands, I asked the AI to build a, to build to build the world around it basically to extend the painting yeah and then i mean it's not the one to process i mean it took me i don't know about an hour you know because it's you have to do it a bunch of times and then you have to make choices so you still there's still a lot of human input at least in the case where i work i worked with dolly <laughs> once again dolly uh that's the program uh and i liked the result and it was inspiring because i can for example use the successful results of the AI collaboration as sketches for for other paintings, or in this particular case, I actually printed them and showcased them as they are as part of the series. You know, so the actual large scale painting was showcased with the projection mapping on it, done by Dimitri, and then these prints were right next to it. So it was kind of seeds that grew out of Tree of Life. You know, different seeds in different directions. So uh, I so I embrace uh, AI. But I, I see a lot of, I see the art world being clearly divided into two camps. Uh, uh, yeah, like pro and against, you know. Uh, yeah. And I really understand, I understand, like I actually read this uh, uh, <laughs> Instagram post by, by a brilliant artist yesterday. He's a brilliant artist who's totally against AI, you know, because he says, listen, it's taking away uh, the personality, the soul. You know, and nothing, it's not creating anything. It's all downloaded and re recreated from the original files anyway. You know, so 
uh, anyway, you know, that's his point. And uh, I understand his pain. I really do, you know, because he's saying that it took him all his life to get to where he's at, you know. And um, yeah, but I think I think it's just another tool. You know, I don't think it will just like photography, just like computer art, just like uh, etching. You know, this will be absorbed by humanity. I don't think this is the end of human evolution as artistic beings. I don't think it's the end of it, but like for illustrators of the future, for someone to be able to submit that, because we, we observe this, if somebody, like you have the classes at the workshop, you have do sketches and you do, we have a thing now where we have models coming in and you do 10 minute, 15 minute and 20 minute uh, model sketching. Well, if you don't know how to sketch, then you're not going to, you know, there's nothing in there. So that's, it's like a, for the, for the role of an illustrator that you can't illustrate, that you can't do the basic drawing stuff. What's your take on that for the illustrators, the future contest itself? I mean, I love, uh, live sketching. I think it's very important. It's just, it's a unique form of, uh, unique dynamic and very, very good energy exchange between the model and, the. Uh, and I'll never forget, uh, there was a case when I was still in, in, in university uh, in Amsterdam that the model didn't show up for class. So the teacher modeled for us and then she asked each one of the students to model for the next like five or 10 minutes. So I was also like at some point I had to come on stage and model. And it was so interesting to be on the other end of the spectrum and the other end. of right. the, you know, And I realized, but and because I saw this, like and I saw all other students, you know, paying this very close attention and doing their best and sincere to capture my whatever I look like, you know, and that was a very empowering uh, and eye opening experience. <clears throat> and I mean, uh, I actually till this day on and off, I do live sketching, uh, whether with my with my wife or with uh, with a few friends that, that we get a model. So I, I love this practice, and I definitely think it should be continued in any form if possible. Yeah. Okay, well, good. Well, as I knew it happened, we've, we've burned through this hour pretty fast. So the last question I is, how can someone find you online? Oh, well, I have a website. That's my name, Artem, A-R-T-E-M, Art, artemart.com. And I also have an Instagram. It's first uh, four letters of my name, A R T E underscore Miro, my last name, M-I-R-O, first four letters of my last name, Miro. Uh, so artemart.com and arte underscore Miro. That's two best ways to find me. Okay, that's great. So um, thank you very much, Artem, and thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We are especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Artem. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and honor. I really, really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Great.